0: Matthew 5 verse 10. Let's go ahead and read 10, 11, and 12 this morning. Let's say a quick prayer following. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, and, or against you and falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for the, your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And just a reminder, last week, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we open up your word, as we seek the depths of your wisdom, the riches of your knowledge. Lord, we pray for the supernatural working of the Spirit of God within us and before us to guide my tongue and to open the eyes of the hearts of those who hear for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week I did speak about the peacemaker. The citizen of of the kingdom of heaven is a peacemaker. Uh, we understood that to be a peacemaker, you had to have the peace. You had to have peace with God, and this was found through the work and person of Jesus Christ. We found that a peacemaker, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, has the peace of Christ in them, given to them as a promise. That this peace of Christ is uh, indwelt in us by the Holy Spirit, and also as we rely on the promises of Christ and His return and His overcoming and conquering of the world. But then a peacemaker is also one having peace with God, having the peace of Christ, seeks to share and to show that peace. We also mentioned a bit of a what seemed like a contradiction in the Scriptures, which ultimately... Turns out that it's not, but on the surface seems to be contradictory. We spoke of when the angels came down from heaven on the hillsides outside of Bethlehem and proclaimed goodwill and peace on earth. But then Jesus, some 30 some years later, said, I have not come to bring peace to the earth, but have come with a sword. So how did those two things work out? Well, first off, Jesus brought peace to the earth between God and man as the Prince of Peace. He came to reconcile man to God whom has been his enemy, a rebel. But the message of peace that Jesus brought does not bring everyone together on earth, but actually brings division, brings the sword that brings division among the people on earth. Let me just read that passage for you, and we'll go back to it a couple times. And so this is really our launching point for understanding how peacemakers who go out into the world, how citizens of the kingdom of God can go out into the world and looking to be peaceable uh, with all will... Understand that they are also among division. And within this division will face persecution and will be reviled against. Matthew 10, I'll just read it to you. We'll come back to it later. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be within those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So we see that as Jesus comes and brings peace to man between man and God. There is. Unrest on earth between people. Separation, the opposite of peace. Man against father. Daughter against mother. Kings against subjects. Neighbor against neighbor. From this separation that takes place, division grows and persecution stirs up. Even for those who look to make peace. So, we've got these words of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you. Now, as we look through this, I kind of had three things to come to mind. There's a history of persecution we can find in Scripture. And beyond scripture in church history, there's an expectation we can have for persecution. And then the third, there is a motivation to endure. And we'll spend, we'll, we'll probably look at that motivation this evening, Lord willing. We'll spend most of our time today on the history of persecution and then also the expectation for we as citizens of the kingdom of God our expectation to face persecution and reviling. Uh, And so with that, turn with me to Acts 7. And Stephen wasn't just a good preacher. He is also a good historian and a teacher. And he lays out in really few verses the history of persecution among the servants of God, the, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Stephen was, uh, he was a follower of Christ. He was part of the early church. He was a preacher. Some would say that he was a deacon. Uh, he did both. Stephen took the message of the gospel straight to the Pharisees. He was not afraid to speak the truth of their past and their present. And he was the first martyr after Christ. He was the first to lose his life for the sake of righteousness and on account of Christ. Now look at 51 in chapter 7. As he gives them, go and read the full, the full chapter this afternoon and listen to this. It's, it's a sermon, but it's also a, a, a history lesson of God and his redemptive act to Israel, all the way up to the sending of Christ and their response, Israel's response. But look, 51 gives us a good summation. The Scriptures present to us persecution of the servants of God. And look how... Stephen says it. You stiff-necked people. This is the conclusion of his his sermon. Uncircumcised in the heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So he's speaking of the prophets. Now, Jesus' words at the end of the Beatitudes says... Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Stephen had a great understanding of the disdain and hatred and persecution that Israel had in certain times of its past towards the prophets. But persecution for a servant of God goes further back than Israel. Cain and Abel was the first act of persecution on the godly. It began all the way in the beginning when sin had existed and it found its way even Moses. Now, if in our beatitude on in verse 11, it's not only persecuted but reviled. All Israel had nothing good ever to say to Moses. It was constant reviling and uttering false falsehoods against him. Why? Because He stood and spoke the word of God, and it did not set well with Israel. And so they reviled him. Now, uh, Stephen continues. So uh, in 52, he said, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Now, that's that's a sharp jab. To the leaders of Israel, to the Jews, who, on another hand, had just put to death the Messiah, which he follows up with. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. Moses and the prophets weren't just speaking about themselves at this time. But as we've looked through the Old Testament and we've seen in Isaiah that this was about the forecoming of the one who was to redeem Israel and not is not a message that, that sits well with the wicked and the unrighteous and they have killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. Go read Jeremiah's account and oh, the... The, the torture, the persecution, the reviling that Jeremiah went through. He speaks of one account. He speaks on one part in Jeremiah where he is really having a hard conversation with with Jesus. Excuse me, with God. And n- dealing with the persecution of his own nation that he has gone forth to speak On behalf of God, too. But then in the end, and I I, I didn't write it down, but in the end, he realizes and knows and understands exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 5 that even being persecuted, reviled, he could rejoice and be glad because his reward was great. Not in that time, but in heaven. Right, so we see, and then in, in Stephen's sermon, he says, "You killed the prophets who spoke of the coming of Christ, and then he gives them one more tough one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. So the history of persecution, not just from Abel, all the way through the prophets, John the Baptist, and now Jesus, Jesus suffered persecution and reviling from his own. His own did not receive him. From the leaders of Israel and Rome, the kings, the governors. He faced persecution and reviling from the Roman soldiers. He even faced it as he hung on the cross. He was reviled and mocked as he hung on the cross. And yet he spoke, Father, forgive them. So as we think about persecution and we think about being persecuted, do not forget the last beatitude that we have talked about. That even in our persecution, we are peacemakers. We are peacemakers. Let's finish what he says in this story of Stephen. Verse 54. And now when they heard these things, they were enraged. What has he done? He's just spoken the truth. He has spoken the truth to these people, and now they are enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Blessed are those who are persecuted for, the, for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Stephen was living out this beatitude in this very moment. Knowing that no, didn't matter how big the stones were, how hard they were thrown, he had a possession greater than anything he had in this life. And in that moment, he had the blessing... To see it. To see where he was going. To see what he was standing for and dying for. He stood in that moment and was persecuted for righteousness sake. Or as in verse 11 says it, on the account of Christ. And he was on his way to receive his reward. The first apostle to be martyred would not be the last. We know that James, it speaks, James is beheaded. Jesus foretells of Peter's execution and the end of John. But what did they die for? What were they persecuted for? For Christ. Not for the sake of a movement. Not for the sake of uh, what they thought was the right way to live. But it was on account of Christ. Christ being the embodiment of God. This is what they were persecuted for. You look throughout the rest of church history from... The end of this time with the apostles onward and you see a multitude of Christians whose life was given, whose families were tortured, whose jobs were lost, homes were burnt for the sake of Christ. At this time, Rome was, had pretty much invaded most of the known world and Caesar was emperor. Um, Caesar was God, basically. So there was a bit of clash between a Christian and a Roman, right? Caesar is Lord, but for the Christian, Christ is Lord. Those two things don't go together under the Roman throne. So back in the day in the early church, in some hundred years thereafter, to speak the confession, Christ is Lord, was punishable by death, by the Roman Empire. There wasn't a lot to gain in the world by speaking the name of Christ. There wasn't a lot to gain in the world by speaking the name of Christ. It brought death It brought torture. It brought persecution. No one would just come out and say, Christ is Lord just for the sake that they might gain something in this world. Because it might mean that they lose everything when they said it. How different is it today? How different is it today that there are a lot of people who make a decision to say, I'm going to be a Christian today because they can actually gain in this world. They seek selfishness and worldly gain on the back of the blood of Christ. Because you and I can say, we could walk out these doors and shout, Christ is Lord, and people just keep driving. There's no cost like there was then. To speak Christ as Lord meant you could die. There was a a disciple of John named Polycarp. Uh, the, The history says that John made him bishop in Smyrna, I believe. He stood in open trial really wasn't trial I believe in the Colosseum and he stood before the emperor's people uh, and they said curse Christ and we'll release you revile Christ and you can go free here's Polycarp's response 86 years I have served him and he had never done me wrong now think about this for a second He is in front of the Roman Empire in shackles facing death and he says God has never done me wrong. That's quite a statement. He had never done me wrong. How then can I blaspheme here's the jab my king. He said that to the Romans. How could I blaspheme My king who has saved me. You see, Polycarp has something in mind beyond what he could see. Polycarp has something, he knows something that lasts forever. There's a king standing in front of him, but he knows that he belongs to the king of kings. There is a reward he could have if he just says, Caesar is Lord. But he holds on knowing that even as the fire is before him, his reward awaits him. His eternal reward awaits him. So actually showing a little bit of mercy, these people say to him, okay, just swear by the emperor something. I'm not really sure the way it was worded. And he his response was, okay, if you imagine for a moment that I would do that, then you would pretend you do not know who I am. Hear it plainly. I am a Christian. Unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do people know you're a Christian? Polycarp faced death and he said it proudly what do we face I'm a Razorback fan I'm not ashamed to say that I'm an Arkansan I'm proud of my state I'm a father we have a lot of titles we could claim some really worthless but do we truly proclaim that we belong to Christ that we are slaves to Christ are we afraid of what that might happen what might happen based on that might we lose a friendship might we lose some money Might we lose position in our company? What is your reward? What are you hanging on to? Popularity? Power? Comfort? I just don't want to be uncomfortable around people. Polycarp was willing to give his life and they responded to him, I will have you burned alive. His response is, you threaten me with fire that burns for an hour and is over, but the judgment of God is forever. So the fire was prepared and they tied him to the stake. And he prayed, Father, I bless you that you have deemed me worthy of this day and hour that I might take a portion of the martyrs in the cup of Christ. Among these may I today be welcomed before thy face as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. And they burned him. They burned him. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. The expectation of persecution is all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. You cannot avoid it. And if you try to live a life avoiding persecution, you are, live, you are avoiding living a life for the sake of Christ. Let me say that again. If you avoid a life of persecution on the, for the sake of Christ, you are avoiding living your life for the sake of Christ. Now, this is not an easy thing to say. This pushes against all of the things we want and desire within our flesh. Desires, satisfaction, comfort, power, money, fame, happiness, whatever the case may be. Our bodies say, run from persecution, run for living a life of righteousness because... It's not going to bring the satisfaction that you can get from this world. So what's the only other option? But to know the reward that is beyond this world. To have an understanding of the everlasting possession as an heir to the kingdom of God. When you know the value... When you know the value of Christ, when you know the value of the kingdom of heaven, light it up. Let it burn. Look at Jesus' words in John 15. We think about the expectation of persecution for a citizen of the kingdom of heaven For a follower of Christ, let's look at what Jesus says in John 15. Starting in verse 18. Now, keep in mind, this is Jesus in the upper room with the eleven, and he is... Explaining to them that he is leaving. Verse 18 and John 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now let me remind you, we read last week in James that uh, friendship with the world is enmity towards God. So Jesus is plainly saying the reverse practically. To be in love with Christ, expect hatred from the world. So there's kind of a bit of a test there. Does the world love me? Well, if they do, why do they love me? Do they love me because I'm a peacemaker? Because I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Because I'm meek? Because I'm merciful? Because I'm humble and understanding my poverty and spirit? If so, Praise God. But more than likely the reality is, if you're those things, you will get pushed back. You will get reviled. And you will be persecuted. This is the expectation of the believer. If you love the Lord, the world will not love you. They didn't love Jesus. Look what he says. Remember in verse 20, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus brought peace, but with that peace came division. Christian, world, believer, unbeliever, sheep, goat. But let me caution us for a minute. This is not a call to arms in some degree. Be careful. This isn't, now go pick up your sword And start making division that goes against everything Christ has said. Let me read to you. This is, let me remind you of your enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the evil forces, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Your enemy is not your unbelieving neighbor. They're not your enemy. The forces over them are your enemy. But you don't live a life pulling out your sword so that your neighbor sees that there is division among you. Be peaceable among all. All Right? Be peaceable among all. So let me, before I move forward, there is false persecution. You could suffer false persecution. Meaning unbiblical. Not what Christ is talking about. And that starts with taking your sword and going and slashing everywhere so that people end up hating you because you're so obnoxious because all you want to do is stir up strife and division. And now everyone is reviling you. And then you're... That's not what Christ is talking about. That is not the persecution That Christ suffered. What we do is we live a life obedient, found on truth, not giving up truth, but in love towards others. And you do that, you'll feel it. When you live obedient and in love. Don't go and make division. Um... Here's another one and I I want to tiptoe on this because it's it's you have to hear me carefully. We're in a time in our country where it's split 50-50 politically. Okay? Political persecution does not equate to what Jesus is talking about here. Okay? To be persecuted by someone from the other side of the aisle in politics doesn't necessarily mean that you are being persecuted on the count of Christ. Now, hear me. There are issues morally and socially we do not budge from. Abortion, biblical sexuality, marriage, these things we will, we will suffer persecution on account of these because these are on account of Christ and righteousness but when you move from those things into the realm of political argument debacle and back and forth and then you uh, then start to associate one letter or another letter with the kingdom of heaven or not the kingdom of heaven then you become then you get into trouble we stand for the sake of Of the righteous on account of Christ we stand on the issues that are godly but we do not we do not equate political anything with the kingdom of God because what if how many let's just take this as an example we want abortion to be abolished but let me ask you something do you know someone who hates abortion but is an atheist? I do. I know people who will take the same political arguments as I do and they denounce Christ. So we have to be careful to think that because We are persecuted by someone with an opposite view from a different political party does not equate to suffering for the kingdom of God. But yet we hold firm to those things and those issues and those stances. And if we do that, we will be persecuted. We will be reviled. But don't let it become blue, red, left, right. Don't do that. Because then you mix the name of Christ with a human institution, with people who do not share the same value and know of the eternal reward of Christ Jesus. But they are caught up in politics, in arguing, in debacle. We don't just declare what the other side of the aisle is doing as as persecution. We make sure that we are living for the right reasons we are arguing and standing on the right causes and when persecution comes as Christ said we receive it but we receive it with joy persecution comes and we can rest and be peaceable because of the promise of Christ in John 6 or John 16:33 when he says he has overcome the world uh if, if anyone misheard me in any of that, I'd be happy to clarify it and talk to you afterwards um, on, on the political aspect. Lastly, and we'll close here, in the expectation and persecution by the apostles, turn with me to Acts 14. Have you ever been somewhere really rough, and you decided you could never go back? We do that a lot, right? I remember when I was growing up, and this is kind of a, probably not a, isn't any helpful, but it came to my mind. We used to go to, um, I can't remember where it was, what town it was. But my dad, he would see a building, and it would be, it would just be like a brick building, that it have no windows, you couldn't really tell what it was, but it was, it was actually a bar. And he's like, those are one of those places where you hop in and you limp out and you never go back to, right? You have a bad experience somewhere and I'm never going back to that place again. But Paul, on the account of Christ, for righteousness sake, would enter in a place, he would limp out, and he would hop right back in or he'd go to the next place knowing that the same experience is coming Acts 14 uh, look at verse 19 and we're wrapping up here the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds so Paul has been there preaching and they stoned Paul what was the purpose of stoning somebody? To kill him. A stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. He rose up and he hopped right back in the next day and he went on with Barnabas to Derby. And what did he do in verse 21? He preached the gospel to that city. And they made many disciples and returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Imagine, imagine Paul walks in bruised, beaten, bloody, full of joy, victorious, with the gospel shoes on, just amening and rejoicing. What kind of motivation would that do for you? To see the joy of Christ in someone who had been beaten and stoned practically to death. But look what he says in the end of verse 22. He encouraged them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. This is the exact opposite of our American culture. That we want to seek a life of easy living. That we don't we don't want to put ourselves into positions to be persecuted or reviled, but live a life of peace. See how we could use that word in the wrong way? To live a life of peace. To live a life of peace in our world, in our time, means to not speak of Christ. Not to live for Christ, but to forsake Christ. Paul reminded the Philippians in chapter 1 that they have not been granted only To believe in Christ. He says you have been granted. To suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict. That you saw I had. And now hear that I still have. Do you know what Paul was doing. When he wrote the letter to the Philippians. He was in prison. He was in prison. And he called the Philippians. He did not call, just call the Philippians. He reminded them that they had been called To suffer as he has for the sake of Christ engaged in the same conflict. I know I've kind of rambled a lot today and I apologize. But I want you to think about your life. And I want you to look it over and examine it Consider if your life is lived for Christ in a way that might just bring about reviling. Not that we seek it, but that when we seek to live like Christ, the world will hate you and persecute you. But yet, we stand in this balance of knowing that that we are to be peacemakers. If you were to be a peacemaker and you were to speak the gospel of peace, people will hate you. But the good news is, souls will be saved. What if you spent the rest of your life declaring the gospel of peace. And let's say you spoke to a hundred people in the rest of your life and 99 of them spit in your face. But one turned and believed. Would that be worth it? What if a hundred of them spit in your face. That's what happened to Isaiah. They all spit in his face. But he stood before the Lord and he heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's a tough thing to try to balance this idea of being peaceable and living in peace and declaring a gospel of peace and facing persecution and hatred. That's what we're called to. But if you don't value Christ, if you don't see his infinite worth, it doesn't matter and it doesn't make sense. It will not make sense. If Christ is not your greatest treasure, if you don't look into the field and see that treasure that is worth selling everything that you have to buy that field, then everything that we've talked about today just will not make sense. And we'll go on and live our lives not for the sake of Christ not for the sake of righteousness. But that might be revealing something about our hearts. And so I pray that today as we finish, we respond to the Lord in a way that we repent. That we repent. And it starts with me, I know for sure. And We'll finish this evening talking more about our possession, our eternal possession, about this reward that we await uh, and the motivation we have to endure. And maybe we'll look at a few more Uh, Christian martyrs in church history too. Let's pray.